Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSum solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then, through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once-a-year town hall or a company-wide email to share what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company, and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello, and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Ms. Jenna Kay. How are you, Jenna? I'm great. How are you? I am so good. Thanks for coming on. Um, we got introduced, as I often am, through one degree of separation. I think it was Jerry Greenall, actually, is who introduced us. I love Calgary or Western Canada anyways. It's the biggest small town ever. One degree and you kind of almost can know almost anyone in the city. And she just introduced you to me as an awesome person I should talk to. So with that in mind, I'm looking forward to this conversation. You are the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder at Odyssey Trust Company. So let's uh, not pass go before we let the audience into the tent. What is Odyssey Trust all about? What do you do? What problem do you solve? And uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Sure. Um, yeah. Thanks to Jerry for connecting us. Um, I feel like Jerry knows everybody in, in Calgary. Mm-hmm. So anyone, yeah, everyone will have a one degree separation with her. Um <laughs> So yeah, Odyssey is a trust company and transfer agent, which is a business that very few people know a lot about unless you're in it. Um, And so we operate in the capital market space. We are a regulated financial institution. Um, And really the history of our business uh, came about 10 years ago when in our industry there was uh, mass consolidation. So we really had two players dominating the Canadian space and neither of them were Canadian. So you had ComputerShare and uh, American Stock Transfer. Um, ComputerShare swallowed up most of the Western Canadian transfer agents and the exchange TSX got into the market and acquired a Toronto-based transfer agent and then um, last year actually also acquired American Stock Transfer. And so you just had very few options in the market, which is never good for... um, for capital markets participants. So you don't, yeah. you don't get to, to really um, push the boundaries on service or innovation. There's very little um, cost competitiveness. So especially for um, you know, Canadian issuers who, who wanted some choice in, in transferring services, you, you really had nowhere to go. And that's, that's to say primarily in Western Canada, most, uh, most companies were with computer share. And so at the time, um, I was practicing securities law. Um, some of the clients I worked with had rolled up into computer share from other transfer agents. And they, were, they said, you know, like, well, we, we can't really work with the service model. It's very slow. It's Australian-based company. You know, what, what, how can we, we find a better solution? 
And I said, there is no, there is not one. <laughs> that this is all there is. It's the classic uh, entrepreneur situation here <laughs> ramping up, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and so it kind of, I guess, prompted me to think about what it would take to start to start a transfer agent. And so before I'd gone into private practice, um, I'd run a consulting firm in, in Eastern Canada and I'd really gotten that entrepreneurial bug. Um, and so I, I was considering sort of other career paths outside of law and was lucky enough to be introduced to uh, previous management teams from the last two Western Canadian independents, so Valiant Trust and Olympia Trust. And we kind of collectively said together, I think if you if you launched um, an independent in Canada that was really hyper-focused on the local uh, issuer base, on great service and had the best people in the business and could innovate and do things paperlessly and challenge on fees and you just had an, an entrepreneurial team come together, I think you could do a lot in this in the space. Um, and so we, we launched Odyssey and it was quite a doozy to get it off the ground originally because we had to go to market. And I think at the time, um, I did the, the largest seed round raised by a female entrepreneur in Alberta, um, which was three and a half million in, in 2017. Um, and then we, we kind of got, got our legs under us and, and really started, started rolling. Um, and it's been quite a journey since then. That's fantastic. Oh, what, that, that was a very great intro, by the way. You're like, that was very complete. I feel like you've been in this, ele- this pitch elevator before to tell that story. Never, curious, never. Uh, n- never? Okay, that was right. Yeah, I'm sure once or twice. Um, curious, the consolidation that happened, this is just me learning to, looking to understand a little bit more of the industry space to maybe to get even more of an understanding of the role you guys play in it. That consolidation, was that because of companies just getting to the end of their cycles and some groups came in? Was it, is it a high volume, low margin game where you needed to bring in a lot to make it work? And I'm always curious because so many industries go through those consolidation cycles. Mm-hmm. Curious from your perspective, because obviously what drove it also is what created the opportunity for you coming out the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Western Canadian consolidation was was primarily around just some sort of new um, complexities of, of the business. So a big one that we have a huge focus on is is compliance. Um, and so if you can't get past a certain scale, you you can't, you know, ex- execute a comprehensive compliance program. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why ComputerShare was, was able to take out some of the smaller uh, competitors. And then I think in, in the case of Valiant, for example, they were owned by Canadian Western Bank. And I think they just weren't uh, a core, uh, didn't have core alignment with, with the bank. Um, Somebody was divesting. Someone else was consolidating. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think that okay. that ha- and that happens I, quite frequently in financial services, where um, you know companies just make choices on on where their margins are the greatest or where where they can they should be focusing more of their resources. But I think it's interesting that you that we've seen since then the I mean the exchange get into the business, which um, I could go down a, a long path on why I think that's a conflict of interest. <laughs> Um, but also having them acquire AST and equity and now we're really, um, going head to head with them in, in Eastern Canada. And, um, yeah, it's just, again, we, we have two competitors, so it, in some ways it's a great business to be in, in some ways it's difficult because, um, you know, you have these kind of bigger organizations that, that have had a stronghold for a while. 
Well, and that regulated nature of it, and like you said, the economy of scale, if they've got to comply at a certain level, you just have to be a certain size or have enough money behind you to play it, to, to play the game, right? You have to be this high to ride the ride. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that we're now, we're, we're past that like point of, um, or inflection point where um, we have enough issuers. We have a thousand issuers. We have 120 people. We've we've done 10 billion in corporate trust transactions. Um, so we have that scale behind us now. We just became a federally regulated financial institution. Um, so it's exciting to see sort of more torque that we can get um, behind behind the business as as we grow into this new this new stage. Um, but certainly the regulatory aspect of it just makes things very very challenging and it's it's interesting because in the u.s in the transfer agent business they don't have the same requirement for their transfer agents to be uh regulated financial institutions in the u.s you have hundreds of of mom and pop transfer agents you know each city would have one or two of them or more um but in canada it's just a different regulatory uh framework that we operate in so um yeah again good good and bad yeah was it well i don't say the word easier the fact you're are you you're right across Canada right now? Yeah, so we're Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, um, and we have sort of remote people based in in other cities across Canada as well. So okay. Halifax, Victoria, etc. Being the high degree of compliance and the high degree of regulatory in Canada, was it quote unquote easier for you to go to the U.S.? And I use the word easier very loosely <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> you know, if well, if we're used to being a ten out of ten, and this is an eight, not saying the U.S. market. I don't want to get some hate mail after this, but I'm just curious. If so many companies look to expand into other markets and sometimes over or underestimate the difficulty or their capabilities. <laughs> yeah, I think the U.S. for us. I mean, it's a it's a very uh, valid point. I think entering a new market, you can't really underestimate some of the challenges that will come up as as you do that. Um, the biggest thing for us is we, 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 you know, we have this great team that's running this business. It's so experienced and mm-hmm. they're really the, the driver of, of what we're building in the U S to complement that. We have a number of U S companies who, who work with us currently. And so it's, it's been easy to have them be serviced through the U S office. Mm, okay. um, yeah, more of a, more of a pull versus a push strategy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we're in the final stages. We've actually, uh, been approved to be uh, a trust company in Minnesota. And so the U S entity will, will go on to have this, um, financial services framework behind it as well. Um, but I think the U S always, at least from my perspective right now, when, you know, I lean a lot on the U S team for, how to tackle that market it is i don't think you can uh, again underestimate how different the u.s is in a lot of ways in canada although we're very similar there's kind of you know nuances in sales and relationships and um how you saturate a market that are just different than than canada so it's so much bigger for us it's 20 times bigger than the market that we're in now so it's a it's a bit it's a bigger risk to see it the same than to see it does different i think yeah (laughs) because if you see it as the same you miss the nuances of what does make it make it make it different um Interesting from the perspective of, 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 is it state by state in the U.S.? Like as it is like Ontario is different than Alberta. How, how much, dif- like the, the, sometimes they're their own little pockets of even culture. Yeah. <laughs> they are not some, not sometimes they are actually. I'll remove the word sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the U.S., like you said, is, is very different culturally. I mean, we, we see that all the time in the political landscape. Um, but from a transfer perspective, it's kind of nice because there, there isn't this need to have, 
you know, you don't have like a local tie-in to someone who's from New York and all the issuers work with them. It very, it's very much <laughs> open season across the country. Yeah. It really comes back to the people that you have and the team and the experience. So, uh, yeah, we've been lucky to, to, to work with companies all across the U.S., so you've had an opportunity to have a different flavor. Like you just said, like it's more competitive. It's more of a free-for-all. It's versus, you know, Western Canada, you've got that small town, what we joked about earlier, that leads to other aspects of how business gets done too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in the U.S. Sometimes good, sometimes yes. not. Like there's always the both sides of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for us being in an Alberta-based company, um, we've definitely benefited from the positives there. So, you know, in our our initial meetings, having, you know, A, getting the meeting itself with a potential client, just because they would be interested in hearing the story of an Alberta business. Like that's very fundamental, I think, to to our province and very unique um, to the Alberta philosophy of like, how can I help you? Um, And so really the Alberta community got, helped us, launch in, in a lot of ways and we were able to lever the companies that we had 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 brought over here across other cities um, but yeah just very much benefited from the sort of how can I help you um, supporting local business um, it, it really helped us get our get our legs under us and, and get the company off the ground so can't say enough about about that uh, sentiment yeah, that we this, all have. This is a bit of a rah rah Alberta podcast, so I'm thank you for taking that flag and running with it for a little bit. At least we'll do a couple laps with that. Was it ever a hindrance? Did it ever hold you back at all as you started to move to other aspects of Canada or even into the U.S.? I think as we, I mean, like one sort of, uh, I'm not sure it was a hindrance, but I think there was a little bit of caution. I would say when we went to become a federally regulated financial institution. So OSFI, who regulates, you know, the big five banks and, and the largest financial institution in Canada, was yeah, you're, also you're our regulator. Some, you're in some big company there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, I mean, we're a very small fish in, in their pond. But I think when we originally... But you're still swimming in, you're still swimming in that pond there. from we're a regulatory perspective. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. I love it. Um, but when we originally approached them, there's only one other. So CW, Canadian Western Bank, is the only other uh, furphy in Alberta. And I think mm, okay. there was just a little bit of... I'd say like caution maybe or apprehension about another Calgary uh, based company becoming a furphy. Um, And so part of that is like, you know, they don't have an office here. Um, And so I think there was a little bit of that sort of Ontario, Alberta, you know, what are you guys up to? Who backs you? Um, And so, I mean, going through that process in hindsight, it was all very positive and it, it definitely helped our company become who we are today. But um, it, it's just one of the, the factors when you're in, when you're in Alberta, financial services are, are not a front runner, front running industry here. No, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, um, not, you're not on Bay Street. Yeah. 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 We're not Bay Street. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, who do you know and how do I know you and uh, who do went to school with who and all, you know, that's how it works. I, I get it for sure. Um, but you guys, have, you, and I want to pivot back to the female side of this. You and I chat a little bit about in our first call, and you called it out, you know, largest seed round by a female entrepreneur back in 2017, 3.5 million, back when raising seed rounds in Calgary didn't make the news like it makes today <laughs> or in a different way, right? That's become a lot more of a trendier conversation to have here in, 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 in Alberta or in Calgary specifically, the startup world and people even knowing what some of those terms mean. Talk to me a little bit about your own journey and, you know, being a female entrepreneur in that space and where it was, you know, where it opened doors and maybe where it provided challenges where that, that it shouldn't have. Yeah. So I always say, I think being a female is, is one of my, one of the biggest advantages that, that I have. 
Um, and I think you you can look at it in two ways. The one side is if you, if you think that being a female is going to hold you back, you will be held back. It will it, it will work against you if you let it. Uh, but the other way is to flip it on its head and say like, how can I really make this an, an advantage? And I think for for me, like number one, we're in kind of an administrative business, and I think generally people trust women and, and trust the you know the detail orientation. De- I was going to say detail <laughs> orientation. No, totally. <laughs> organization. Um, Use it like you said, using that as a strength. And exactly. Selling it as a strength. Exactly. Yeah. The conservative nature sometimes of of women, um, and so I think a lot of times when people look at this business, like it's it's. It's not shocking anyone that 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 a woman's running it, um, and so that that's one piece of it. Um, and then the second is that we've just had so much support from both men and women um, across Canada, and I would say that's been you know from issuers themselves, from CFOs or legal counsel or CEOs who've said, "Yes, we'll we'll move to you, and we'll we'll be one of the first or um, you know, we're, we know you're a key client to us or we use you every time for, for deals that we do. And then the legal community in Canada. So lawyers are our biggest um, source of reference. Yeah. And I mean, male partners in every national law firm in Canada who would recommend us and use us time and time again. Um, and then naturally, I mean, for me, like, I love working with women because I, I work with so many of them at Odyssey, but you find natural connections with, with women, I think quite easily, whether it's, you know, bonding over your backgrounds or your kids or whatever it is and so that's been another pillar that's been been easy for us to to use to grow the business so i've always seen it as a big advantage to be a female ceo um and i think across canada i can't remember i can't remember the number but based on our market cap i think there's there's like less than 50 female ceos with a market cap kind of around ours which is yeah which is not good not good. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, you can get, but it's a move. It's it's good to know and good to improve on. And you know, I, I do know in Western Canada, I think I can't remember the Saturday, but we've got double the female entrepreneurs from a from a level of percentage compared to other parts of the country. And there's some things in Western Canada that I do like to fly that I'm pro- very proud of that we're getting better and yeah. getting smartening up a little bit. I would say. Yeah. Oh, I think there's there's going to be like exceptional talent coming coming up mm-hmm. um, the ranks in in terms of female CEOs and, and women leading. Um, I think like I've benefited from the women who've, who broke that glass ceiling ahead of me. And now I, I always sort of challenge people. And, and I think this is just a, a way of thinking and it's different sometimes between men and women is like women sort of naturally are a bit apprehensive to take on the lead role. Um, and that just is, is in all, in, in everyone's nature. So it's, it's in my nature, you know, it wasn't when we originally started, there was, um, uh, a co-founder who was who was with me, and it was sort of like, well, you know, we, you should be the, the CEO, and and I should be something else. But at the end of the day, what I want is I have three daughters. I want them to see women leading. I think I'm worse than here. Speaking of one of them, here she is. <laughs> Hi, Abby. Real life, real life always shows up. I love it. But mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I think I think that's that that doesn't that doesn't come natu- as as naturally to women as it comes to men, but I think over time, what really changes that is seeing other women do it, and that is that that's been part of the pullback that, that women have had. It's like they just see men leading all the time, 
Um, and so they wonder, you know, is there something that I don't have that, that makes that suitable for me? Whereas the more women you see, the more it just becomes like, yeah, of course I would do that. Um, and so like I think that, that, ten, that, that tendency for men to sometimes, and I'm, I'm, we're going to play in the realm of, of stereotypes and men sometimes over index on what I'm capable of. And sometimes women will, will do exactly what you said. Is that a nature nurture environment kind of situation that as we have more examples and as we see more women in those leadership roles, that'll just go away. Yeah. I, like, I think it will. I mean, you'll have to, we'll have to answer this question and we'll circle years. back in 10 years yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think but, it'll be longer than hey, that. It's our <laughs> podcast. We can talk about whatever we want right now. <laughs> yeah. We should diarize the follow-up, uh, diarize the follow-up every, every decade to see how it's going. I think it's going to be longer <laughs> than 10 years. I think maybe 20, 30, but like certainly, um, it should, it should get better every year. But yeah, I I do think that's in talking to women, um, quite often about career advancement and board seats and the evolution of their careers. Mm. One of the things I hear is like, well, there's not very many women, like there's still, you know, not that many women on boards and there's still very little female CEOs. And so it's not something that just your mind triggers immediately like, Oh yeah, I would, I, I shouldn't, right. I, I should do this. But the more you see, I think what's the saying, you have to see it to be it. Um, mm-hmm. the more they see it, the more, um, it will become, it'll become a reality. So I think the future looks very bright for women. Yes, and we're, I think, we're moving in, a, we're moving in a more <laughs> in a positive direction. direction. <laughs> I think I agree from a recruiting perspective for, you know, as you've grown as an organization, being able to find talent, whether female or male, gender being a factor, but also just the talent that you need to grow the organization. How's that been for you guys in terms of being able to get access to talent in Western Canada? Now it sounds like you've got talent, you know, and if you, it always sounds like you started with a really strong team, which is when you set a group of high performers together, it attracts other high performers in my experience. Yeah. <laughs> What's that journey been for like you guys around talent? Yeah, I, I think, um, this is always a question where I, I have this story and I'll, I'll tell it now. I've told it a million times is when I did my MBA. I love MBA, a good story. I love a good story. <laughs> when I did my MBA, um, I, you had to take this course called organizational behavior, which is basically human resources or like people. And everybody thought this class was so fluffy. You know, you'd work in groups and you'd have these business cases and you were like, well, the answer is obviously that Adam and Sarah should collaborate and come to a, come to a collective, uh, <laughs> agreement and move forward. There's like, the answers just seem so obvious. And so this was a class that I, I paid like almost no attention to, and it was easy to get a mark in. Fast forward however many years now, 15 years, it's like, I wish I had paid so much more attention in that class because the key, I would say, the key to our, the success of our business has been people and also the key challenge to our business has been, has been people. So, you know, lucky to get amazing people in the right seats, but also as we've grown as a business, um, having to go through evolutions of of, of people and needing different skill sets, um, and needing to high grade, um, certain people in positions and then trying to attract people from outside industry. Um, it really has been this ongoing, uh, jigsaw puzzle that we as a, as an organization, you know, deal with a lot. Um, and so it, in terms of how easy has it been to get good talent, I think we've been lucky when you come, when, when it comes to taking people from industry in that, People who work in the transfer agent industry, I think generally, um, 
the other organizations don't have this sort of culture of, of empowerment and you can come here and you can build with us and you can really create your own legacy because they've been around for so long. And so we really attract people that, that say like, I want to build, I want to create, I want to be able to, you know, do this for my clients. I, I want to push the boundaries of innovation. I, I align myself with this brand. Um, and we say we make things simple, fast and easy. And if somebody thinks that, that that's how, how they work, then they're very interested in joining us. And so we've, we've <laughs> been lucky in, in that sense. Well, you're dealing with an industry that maybe doesn't have a reputation, and I'm talking about broad financial, not just necessarily the trust and transfer space, but easy, simple, innovative. We're up for new ideas. We're innovating around technology. That's not something that always resonates with the big five (laughs) from the outside anyways of band-aided solutions and technology hacks that have been hanging together for years. And yet a customer that's demanding and an employee base that's demanding things to be easier, faster, smarter, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you're starting to see it. Like you, you can't deny yeah. 2023 technology, um, but it, it's actually like, you know, is the use case making life better for people? Is this truly something where we can, we can save you time and save you money and save you pain and in, in getting things done? And really what it takes, I think, in, in Canada, because it is such a small uh, a small marketplace, is word of mouth travels fast. And so if, if people have a great experience with us, they're like, I can't believe I called Odyssey and somebody picked up the phone. They <laughs> did what I needed them to do while we were on the call and then sent it back to me. And that's, and that's a shareholder. And so we have about 300,000 shareholders that we work with, but the, the word will spread. Or on the issuer side, you know, somebody needs a medallion guarantee. And they are like, oh, no, this is going to take us, you know, weeks to get and this is going to be painful. And then they call us and we say, oh, we can set up a Zoom appointment for you and do this afternoon. They're like, what? When? This is completely different than anything I've done before. So um, and, and really just trying to continue to push the boundaries on on how we can make life easier for people um, and just generally, you know, keep things moving in capital markets. That's Canada, you know, wants to be wants to be the place for new issuers to be and, and really ramp up our own economy. We need to have competition. We need to have companies that, that are disrupting. Mm-hmm. From a technology perspective, was that a bit of an advantage for you guys kind of starting, fr- starting fresh 10 or 15 years ago of not necessarily being hamstrung from this is the way we've always done it, where you came in as a business going, if this is the way it's always been done, if that's not working, we're going to do it differently. That, that, you know, not to call you guys a startup, but there's a startup mentality that I'm hearing you share about we're always looking and we're always trying to make it easier for the customer. From a technology perspective, was that a bit of an advantage that you hadn't been around forever when it yeah. came to the adoption of technology? Yeah, well, I think like one, we, like we are a true startup. So although we're in, I would call it chapter two now, like we've, mm-hmm. we've been around for six years. Um, but I, I really think that was the perfect time to launch from a technology standpoint because you just came into this um, kind of what I'll, I'll call like fast moving, like incubator focused um, economy. And, you know, you're creating, you're creating APIs that can plug into different systems. You're, you know, coding using open source. So, so there was a, a we did come in at, at a, at a good time. Um, and I do think that one of the continued advantages that we have is our competitors are just so large that to pivot into, you know, even a new culture, like we're so, we're so cautious about 
how strong our culture is and we have people supporting each other and, you know, no jerks policy. Um, it just, with bigger organizations, it's, it's very hard to, to keep a finger on that. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's one of the things that, that really has, has propelled us forward even more is, is to be a newer disruptive entrant to this, to this industry. It's like a little few of the things you said about you can look, you look at something as oh we're small so that's a weakness versus well, actually being big here's the weaknesses and here's how we can exactly counter that and from a customer experience I just want it to be easy I just want it to work for me and like you said oh you can do that for me this afternoon and blowing people away just by doing it a not even a lot like a little bit better it it's it, it, it's it's easy when your competitors are so big that they just can't due to the size of their infrastructure just can't pivot quickly. And it's not even a fault. It's a, it's a little bit almost by design, unfortunately. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was curious because you have a ringside seat. Capital markets, what are you seeing these days? What's like pull out your crystal ball a little bit? And uh, what what's going on across Canada? You activity? I don't know. Any any perspectives you can, you're willing or you can share with us in terms of what you're seeing going on? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I think in hindsight, you know, we found last year to be pretty steady. Um, but I would say sort of when, when I look back, it, it kind of looks like, um, we, we did really have a market pullback, especially in trading volume over the last 12 months. Mm. And I think this recession apprehension apprehension is, is really almost playing like more of an impact than it, maybe it should, because we're not really you mean seeing the threat, the threat yeah. of the threat of the, the thing has been worse than the thing. The thing. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. I um, agree. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think, I think, think that that's had an, had an impact, but yeah, how long we stay in this place, I think has yet to be seen. We, we have seen some positive, um, trending around the IPO market in Canada okay. and the U S so that's been good. Um, there's some industries obviously that, that have done really well and, and are really doing some innovative things, particularly in resources and energy, um, I think technology is sort of just waiting on the sidelines to, to see how, how the market reacts. But I would say probably by the end of the year, start of next year, we'll see things get back to like a usual, a usual tick. But in the meantime, you like we benefit as a business from if the IPO market slows down, well, then M&A heats up. And right. so, yeah, so yeah. then there's this other side of the business that's that's quite active. Um, and so we're never we're never you know, down as an, as an organization, one, one arm is up and the other's down, or they kind of both, um, by the nature of how it balances, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, it's a really nice, nice part of our business. I appreciate well by design and, and also nice to have those, you know, different things for different seasons, if you, if you will, uh, Canada versus us, obviously we're a small market. They're a big market. Any difference in just nuance of activity you're seeing north or south of the border? Um, I would say definitely, um, I would say definitely the IPO space in the U.S. Mm. Um, and and that would that's one that's really um, really really pulled back. And so we have we have a partner, a technology partner that's uh, that supports private companies. And I think I want to say up until March 2022. So for the 18 months before that, they had 180 IPOs. So you're you're tracking like 10 a okay. month. Um, and then they've had like two since then, <laughs> two in the, in the, oh, okay. <laughs> in the following 18 months. So, um, that's been a big, a, a big sort of laggard in the U S but then the U S again has, has lots of M and a lots of, um, corporate actions going on. 
And then in Canada, I think I think people are getting creative. I think you're seeing a lot of um, interesting things in energy transition in different mining projects across Canada. I think you're seeing a lot of cool companies come out of Toronto um, that are really like cover a wide a wide industry base. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think things are are gonna are gonna come back full force. But when that happens, sort of is is yet to be seen. Yes, once the threat of this recession starts to fit, runs its course, the threat the threat of the thing we don't even want to call it name it. The threat of the thing starts to realize that maybe that was actually what it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm sensing that conversation is happening with people on a, on, a, on a regular. When you look at Western Canada and even you know your roots are here and your foundations are here and obviously you've spread broad and wide and you've made some comments about good things, seeing some good activity coming out of Toronto, still seeing lots of positivity, specifically in the resource or energy transition sectors in Western Canada. That's what I'm hearing. So I'm kind of this is me comparing notes a little bit with you in terms of what's happening, you know, in Alberta specifically? Yeah. I mean, I think Alberta is the one, you know, the one place where, um, a, the market remains strong because I think energy prices are, are holding in there at least significantly improved from where they were, uh, yeah. two or three years yeah. ago. And then I think you're also just seeing companies come out of that a lot, a lot smarter. So, you know, you're not having like the same GNA burn, your, um, you know, looking at the lessons you learned from the last downturn, and it, it, it was so near that I think people made some some good decisions yeah. that would really propel them forward. And it did last a little bit more than the twelve or eighteen months it has lasted in the past. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I think there's a lot of of optimism in Alberta, and you know, I love we talked about this before. I love what what we're seeing on the energy transition side, but also on the Alberta tech community. Um, mm-hmm. Just, it just, it, it, yeah. I mean, we're going to see it through the the vast immigration that we that we have right now. Although it won't play out for a while, like we're going to have a lot, a lot of exciting things happening here. Um, and so Alberta just needs to continue to be this place that is pro business, is you know pro people, and really you know uh, mitigated on on red tape so that companies can can get started here and do really well. Um, and it will benefit our whole economy to have more diversity um, within the within the economy. I, yeah, I, I really like where things are going in Alberta now. The best kept secret is only if you haven't been here and experienced it, because I've met people. I moved here 24 years, 23 years ago now, and it just was like, oh, oh. I didn't realize. And then, you know, you get into the ecosystem, you meet people and it kind of grows. And I do really appreciate this journey where we're on. And it is still from a rest of Canada perspective. It's still a little bit of an unknown. I find like I have lots of friends in Montreal and, and Toronto that still like to say what they think Calgary or Alberta is. And they're often quite, quite, um, mis- they're quite wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tyler, can I grab my baby? Just give, can I, can you give me one Of second? course you can. Of course you can. You know, if you were going to bring her in or to the to the podcast, we would have kept it in as just part of like, hey guys, hey gals, this is real life. This is how it looks. Yeah. No, <laughs> when totally. you run a successful company and you're also a, a turbo mom at the same time doing all the things. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I cut you off there. You're saying is, I think no, you which just literally just me giving a blatant plug to Alberta and how uh, sometimes the uh, my fellow Canadians that happen to live more eastern don't always understand the benefits that we have here, and I love to correct them. That's all I was saying. Just, yeah. Just my little just, just a little, little so, soapbox moment just a little soapbox moment for Alberta uh Jen a couple last questions I'm looking to get into this industry it's kind of obscure I don't really know about it unless I work in it I'm curious I've listened to you talk I'm like oh I'm I wonder if my path would go there any you know female or male but even advice for 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 young female aspiring trust and transfer agents um what would be your recommend how would someone find their way into this field Mm. 
Mm, good question. I mean, <laughs> I guess I, I think it'd be very difficult to find your way into in, into this field just based on the path that that we've had. Um, I think certainly if somebody was interested in in starting a career in the trust and transfer agent industry, um, you know, we're always hiring, so they could they could talk to us. So we <laughs> nice. could, uh, th- th- I opened the door for you yeah, on that one. <laughs> yeah, we could uh, we could chat with them about what that could look like at Odyssey. Um, I think the like financial services, I guess, sort of more broadly, just because the transfer agent industry is so small, is I think there's a ton of opportunity um, in it. I know there's companies um, that that are being disruptive beyond us. There's Neo Financial in in mm-hmm. Calgary. There's EQ Bank in Toronto. Um, I think it's a very it has the ability to, have, to be a very um, challenging and and exciting career path for people. Um, but yeah, I would say for people who are entering, you know, it, it's an interesting business because it does have a lot of, um, predictability and stability in it, like I mentioned, but there is a lot of room for innovation. So if they're interested, that's they an, should chat with us. That's an exciting balance to have both those. Cause you usually one compromise, someone can often compromise the other. You can have innovation and fly the seat of your pants, but then you don't have any, um, confidence yeah. <laughs> that everything's going to be okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Jenna, thanks for coming on. Love meeting you again. Jerry didn't steer me wrong yet again. She never does. Whenever she says, you want to meet so-and-so, I just say yes. That's my, that's my easy filter with Jerry. So a huge plug for Jerry and all the, all, all the things that she does to support her community. She's a rock star. And thanks for giving me a chance to just learn a little bit more about this industry because I kind of often look in and go, what really goes on in this trust and transfer space? <laughs> so I do appreciate being able to kind of look in over the, over the wall. If somebody wants to get a job, learn more about, have a chat with you, learn about Aussie, what's the, go to your website, check you out on LinkedIn. What, what, what are your preferred channels? What do you like? Yeah, no, definitely send me a note on LinkedIn um, or feel free to send us a message through, through our website. Um, like I said, we're always interested in meeting great people. Um, we're always interested in talking to companies about uh, their transferred services and whether they, they could be better. Um, and yeah, overall, we have a lot of uh, momentum behind us and we're excited about this, this next chapter that we're going down. And I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you today and be part of the collisions uh, group that, that you've interviewed in the past. I've listened to some of the, some people I know be, be interviewed on your podcast and awesome. Great. Um, really enjoyed it. So yeah, thanks for having me Thank on. Thank you. My pleasure. I get to meet the coolest people doing this. That's why, that's why I just can't be like, well, how do you find the time? Like I make the time because I get to meet people like you. So Jenna, thanks for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure. Best of luck. And I'll see you in 10 years because we've got to circle back and fact check our, uh, the length of our, our case study on uh, the transition to females in business boards, leadership roles, and how we're doing on that. So I think a 10-year and then a 20-year touch base might be in order. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. Thanks, Jenna. 